more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel news. I'm Heidi McDonald, the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. Don't forget, you can find us on social media at, at PW Comics World. And don't forget to give us a like and a rating because we love ratings. So this week, I am talking to Fred Von Lente and Crystal Skillman, the creators of King Kirby, formerly a stage extravaganza and now a podcast. Hi, Fred and Crystal. Hey there, Heidi. Hi. So glad to have you on. Um, so yeah, King Kirby. Now, uh, so Fred, just, you are a comics writer and Crystal, you are a playwright. Why don't you just talk a little bit about your, your backgrounds here for those who might not be familiar with, uh, your, your oeuvre. I'm, I'm chocolate. She's peanut butter. <laughs> um, you first. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, yes, we were both, uh, experimenting on all forms when we first met and started dating. Um, Fred was writing a bit more screenplays and comic books and I had just started doing plays and over our careers, you know, Fred has been, um, become a, a comic book writer. I've become a playwright and, um, through King Kirby, I think Fred is showing more interest and excitement about theater and playwriting. As well. <laughs> I'm, I'm drama curious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, my interest in Jack Kirby's life sort of predated, um, my, getting into comics professionally. Like I, ever since out of college, I've been doing indie comics, but I started researching a bio of Jack Kirby just because his life is so incredible, you know, starting out in the tenements in New York city during, uh, the great depression, fighting in world war two, creating captain America. Um, you know, then the romance comics became such an iconic, became so iconic for the fifties America and with Roy Lichtenstein's paintings and everything else. And then obviously creating all the Marvel universe characters that was like the like sixties, which led into the, you know, cosmic seventies. Mm, yeah. Yeah, he, was he, first, he was one of the first people to ever, you know, do a, a creator-owned comic for the correct market. You know, that started starting out in the late 70s. So uh, I started researching a biography, but like a lot of people in their 20s, I was starting and stopping a lot of things. But I was dating this playwright, and I'm like, <laughs> she oh can do God. it. If she can do it, I can do it. And so I wrote the draft of a play. It was, it was all right. It was pretty good. Crystal got some notes. We had a reading, and I kind of put it in a drawer. To the Brick Theater over here in Brooklyn did a comic book theater festival and Crystal was like, hey, remember that Kirby play you did? And we knocked out, this is like literally a decade later and I dusted it off and Crystal said, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And I said, you're the co-writer. <laughs> and uh, and so that was the production that ultimately um, had a successful run in Brooklyn. We had a lovely New York Times review. Now it's been done in D.C. and Seattle and Calgary and San Francisco and all over the place. Um, and then during the pandemic, um, someone approached us and said, have you ever thought about doing King Kirby as an audio drama or an audio podcast or a podcast? These terms are all kind of interchangeable, uh. I think. Uh, but we were like, well, wait a minute. We have a recording of the original 2014 cast that we did in a comic book store. We recorded <laughs> it in Midtown Comics downtown on Fulton Street as part of a reward for our Kickstarter backers because we kickstarted the the production. And so we got uh Bobby Cronin. Why don't you tell Heidi a little bit about Bobby? 
Well, you know, um, and then in the period of time since King Kirby debuted, I become known for being the book writer of Mary Max the Musical with composer Bobby Cronin, and he's also composing music for my play Rain and Zoe Save the World, which also I hope will be a comic book as well. Um, but it should be, um, hopefully it's been optioned, so it looks like it will hit um, the theaters in 2022, um, looking at the UK. Awesome. Um, yeah, and he's composing that too. So we have all these projects together. And so when we had the opportunity with the audio, I thought a lot about how music was so important, especially having written a play called Open, which is a magic show without magic in which the sound is so important to that that piece. And in the audio drama world, obviously, you know, it's it's crucial. And I thought I really wanted someone who could create that superhero-like theme and feelings that Jack was feeling when he wrote and also um, – score the piece. And so I was so excited. Bobby was excited. And w- the one thing we were grappling with was like, who's, who can edit it? You know, uh, cause Broadway podcast network was so excited and they're waiting and we're like, Oh my gosh, we can do this quickly. And, and, uh, um, and so we just started talking to Bobby about that. And one of my favorite, that was just an amazing conversation. He was like, well, who do you have as, as the editor? And then we were like, well, we're, <laughs> we're interviewing people. We're going to talk to them. And he's like, I'll do it. <laughs> um, and, Sold. and I was like, wow. And, uh, there we go. That's the, that's the project. <laughs> wow. So he composed like incidental music for it or. Exactly. Yeah. He scored it and there's a superhero theme. Uh, there's a King Kirby theme as well. Right. Right. Yeah. So, wow. So I did not realize that this was just like a store recording because it sounds pretty great. It doesn't sound like it was a... Yeah, I mean, they, they mic'd it great and they remixed it great. Uh, originally, it was like a reading where, like, I am on the... I was on the original recording reading, like, the, sa- the stage directions, mm-hmm. but I was like, cut me out. Let's just do it as a real, like, real drama drama mm-hmm. you know, without the artifice of a reading. Uh, and Bobby just crushed it. Also, I have a, I have a, like a new scripted audio drama series I'm working on. And well, you know, from that, we'll start with scratch, right? There'll have to be rehearsal and talking to the actors and getting that performance. But, um, the performance that you're hearing, the, they performed it, although only eight legendary performances. It's a pretty, pretty legendary downtown cult thing. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I seem to recall it was during convention season and I was out of town for the whole thing. So I didn't. Yeah. It was yet. in July or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. It was a really bad time. I think for, it might have actually been during San Diego. Yeah. yeah I, I, something. It was, too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it was San Diego that year. Or maybe I did. No, it's true. I missed, I missed the whole weeks of, I know I missed the whole weeks of, rehearsals. Yeah, we were like stuff. mommy and daddy because I was in for four of the shows. Yeah, it was kind of a was in for the other four. Um, yeah, it was a bit, but, th- but Heidi, that's why we did this is because, um, as much as Fred and I have many other, uh, things we've worked on, um, whenever we're sitting at a, at a table <laughs> or people are like, I, I didn't get to see King Kirby. How am I going to see it? <laughs> so now you can, now we can shut those. <laughs> yes. <up for> <laughs> Well, you have an amazing cast, first off. I mean, Stephen Rattazzi as Jack Kirby, uh, I mean, he's, he's the bomb. He does a great job. He's really amazing. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of other people on it. Uh, you know, your Stan Lee is also, yeah, I mean, Cassidy, it, yeah, Cassidy, yep. He's, yeah. Dad, Dad's really kind of made a name of himself. I mean, he's now going to become a novelist also, but he, he did Steal the Stars, which was a pretty popular tour. Uh, podcast wrote the novelization of Steel the Stars. So he's actually done, he does quite a lot in this audio drama space, you know, prior to the King Kirby, since yeah. he played Stan Lee, but prior to the King Kirby podcast coming out. Yeah. Well, and oh. Mac Rogers is actually kind of how I ended up wanting to explore the space because we would. And Mac Rogers is yeah. who? 
uh, he wrote um, uh, Steel the Stars, um, which is on uh, the tour podcast, and also The Message, which also has a lot of fans. Wow. Well, you know, let's let's talk a little bit though about the whole audio um, medium. Now, of course, I always joke that it's nothing but old time radio drama. Um, you know, and I used to, in a new guys, and it is, but, uh, you know, I always made fun of those people who were into old time radio. You know, they had a, a club called Spurdvac, which is made for jokes, obviously. And, uh, you know, I always pointed to radio drama as a medium that was popular for its time, but had died out and, uh, how wrong I was, <laughs> obviously. Um, all things but, come back in time. Yes. Well, I mean, I should have been, you know, if people like doing something once, they'll probably like doing it again as long as it's, 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 well, it's i i mean yeah i mean i i my dad had the these the the five records set of and these are records people oof. So you put them on a turntable and everything uh the needle of the orson wells shadow show and i listened to those religiously and i i remember like i actually like took my battered Stan lee steve ditko spider-man pocketbooks comics oh. and i actually performed them on a tape cassette. I did like audio versions of those. We could only find that. <laughs> so, so glad they don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> Anymore. Well, uh, well, you, could actually, you could actually rent, not rent, but you know what I mean? Check out yeah. like, uh, my favorite adventure. What was the big or my love of mystery? The, all those old radio shows yeah. from like my local library. Uh, yeah. I would take them and dub them. So, so, Crystal, I have seen a few of your plays performed, and they are very theatrical, um, you know, and really enjoyed them immensely. Um, how do you think about audio drama, though? I mean, how do you approach it differently? How do you, you know, what's your thinking about it? Well, it's been really interesting because I started getting into the space, um, and, um, I'm part of the WGA Audio Alliance now. Um, and it was really through, through Mac and I talking and realizing, uh, for me, how I was approaching it, um, with the original and then this came in is, um, was, I, I really realized this is a new form in which you can, uh, Every, you know, my work is so much about the imagination and here mm-hmm. all about the imagination and, um, and, um, getting an audio scape and a story that evokes a real participation with the listener. Mm-hmm. And so in that the stories can, you know, and of course, you know, uh, you know, you can think big and you can be fantastical. And so the re- I think the reason why we're seeing so many podcasts and audio dramas now being picked up by television is that, you know, we, um, we don't have to sell that budget, but we mm-hmm. made the world and you can listen to it and get excited and go, Oh my gosh, Limetown. Now I want to see that, you know, girl in space. Oh my gosh, I want to see that. Or, you know, whatever uh, floats your boat, you know, um, and so I got really influenced by obviously Night Vale is amazing. Um, but also uh, Girl in Space is someone that I've just become obsessed with. I'm actually obsessed with, um, I, le- I love Limetown. I also really love, <laughs> uh, Hello from the Magic Tavern, which is just a hoot and, uh, and, and, and ones like that. And Between the Wires, I think is one yeah. that the Night Vale crew did, which are found audio, which is terrific. And I've always liked Mac stuff. So when I started, um, creating the new stuff, um, I was really thinking about that, about how, um, you know, I can have a motorcycle chase just by writing the beats and hearing the audio <laughs> of that and the excitement of that thrill. Um, because the new piece takes place after my play open, in which um, a character is a young adult um, writer 
um, uses a persona called the magician um, to kind of get through um, these times, so to speak, um, and uh, ends up uh, getting invitation from the Society of Magicians. Uh, uh-huh. As it turns out, what we're experiencing now is a lot bigger than we thought. Um, so I was in the middle of kind of doing that because uh, I had all these great meets <clears throat> before the pandemic hit. And so certain things were starting to happen. I was like, well, here's something we can do and make. And so the fact that we're doing that is great. So when this excitement about um, King Kirby happened, one of the reasons why I asked Bobby Cronin was kind of to play against the old time radio thing, because we had the actors. There's two things. One, one is that the actors feel so lived in that it does create a little bit more, like sometimes the radio um, acting uh, was a little heightened. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this isn't super, uh, it, it isn't heightened to that that degree. Right. So it's theatrical, but it doesn't feel like we're acting. <laughs> well, and it was you interesting, know. like initially, like Bobby was like, it should be like, it's set in the forties. So it should be period. Like, no, so no, we got no, this no. kind of like jazzy, you know, kind of like, well, actually it was more of a twenties yeah. sort of like that was the original ragtime thing, right. theme. Uh, but, uh, but we were like, no, this is superheroes. This should be, this should be, uh, a really modeling we want. And so we actually had to sort of play from a lot of the Marvel themes. Like the Danny Elfman and, and like Elfman the Avengers stuff. theme. And like, mm-hmm. we really wanted it to feel like you were, you were, we wanted to make it clear to the listener that we know you're listening to this because you're into this pop culture now and you're into WandaVision and you're into the Avengers and, and the show know. spans a guy's life from the thirties yeah. to the nineties, you know, and so there's it, fixating the theme specifically in a particular time period is just not. And we great. wanted it, you know, he writes about, you know, but he got it immediately. And the theme is amazing. Yeah. The theme is amazing. And the, the fantasy in the, in the future, you know what I mean? Like the like Jack so represents, um, you know, just thinking big and, uh, and, and, and so we wanted to capture that rather than the setting. Cause I don't think Jack's mind was necessarily in a certain time period. He was always ahead of his time. Right. Absolutely. We wanted to capture that feeling. Yeah. I, f- I so regret, I write this on the beat often, but, um, I'm just so sad that Jack did not survive to see this. And, right. you know, he would have been, um, so, well, he thought he earned it. He he thought he, he, you know, he always knew he was great. And that's fine. When you're as great as Jack Kirby, you can know that you're awesome, you know. And um, he always, of course, you know, sought that recognition and deserved it. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of Stan Lee stuff right now because, uh, you know, the, the biography is out now. We're seeing a lot of revisiting. And uh, I was really glad to see that Kirby was at least getting some talk because of, because of, of, you know, your play coming out and, uh, or the, the podcast coming out. Right. Um, that may or may not be a coincidence. Well, yes, very good. So, but you know, that's great. Uh, you know, cross promotional marketing. Um, and they are really, I mean, do you, do you feel that Jack is getting a little bit more of, uh, recognition now that, that Stan is not here to constantly cameo in MCU movies? I mean, I, I would like to think so. You know, it's, it's disturbing. You know, Abraham Reisman wrote the book is sort of sharing on, on Twitter. He's getting a lot of like, you know, kind of death threats from people who've never read the book before, you know, and so there's, there's the stand stands, ha ha ha, out there. You know, it's just sort of frustrating that everything has to be like, like there's no sort of like, it's just frustrating that there's no delineation between people who love Trump and people love Star Wars and people who like, prefer the Zack Snyder Justice League. Everything is this, is this cultural jihad. <laughs> yeah. Of, of, of polarization. And, and you have to assume social media is largely to, to blame because it just encourages people to out shout each other. 
Yeah, and then the fact that we can't see each other face to face for a year doesn't help. Sure. Not help <laughs> at all, absolutely. Um, and uh, you know, in, in fact, it gets to the. But then on the other hand, it's sort of like I think that's partly, but it, but unfortunately, I think it just kind of comes down to like we're pack animals, and so we have a tendency to obsess over an alpha. Like we kind of want there to be the main guy. Mm. Partly, it's that. I think it's also partly that. Life is complex, and people don't really give a shit where their pop culture comes from, so it's much easier to think that Stan Lee wrote and drew all the comics. Yeah. I also think it's, like, you know, our, in terms of our collective consciousness, it's interesting to see how that happens, and I think us telling the story is a part of that in the zeitgeist because when the original play happened, I realized how important it was to keep pushing the story forward. You know, maybe we'll come back and do Off-Broadway, maybe, you know, now it's a podcast, maybe, maybe a lot of things. But um, people didn't know. You know, I had, uh, the, 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 the audience was 50%. I'm here. I'm so excited Jack's getting his due and they would cry or weep. Um, there's one girl, she was very young. She was in her early twenties and she was doing a thesis on Jack Kirby and she came a long way to see the show and she cried the minute she saw the opening um, image of him drawing at his desk and, uh, and it was Stephen playing Jack. And um, so there's that. And, but then there was there, I was shaken like a rag doll by friends that came out that were shaking me by the shoulder saying, I don't know this. I didn't know this. I didn't know. And it's, you know, of course they didn't really look it up, but you know, Stan also did quite a good PR job. As oh, yes. He was the PT Barnum in so many ways that, that Abe's book kind of unearths a lot of things that um, when Fred and I would mention to someone, um, you know, they would say, really? I thought everybody loved him. They would <laughs> It would be very confused, you know? Yeah, and it's not like this is, I mean, we obsess over this because we're comics people, but it's not like this is a dichotomy unique to Marvel, you know? it's I'm doing a book on role-playing games, and, you know, there's there, there are two co-creators of Dungeons & Dragons, Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax, and D- Dave Arneson was the guy who was, was, was sort of the creative engine, and Gary Gygax was the guy who was kind of the business head, and so Dave Arneson's friends all think Gary Gygax is a criminal who ripped off Dave Arneson. There, in the case of D&D, it's a slightly different scenario. It's not quite as cut and dry as um, Marvel, but you have Apple, right? Who created Apple? Steve Wozniak or Steve Jobs? There again, uh, Jobs, who was yeah. the, the face, the, the public face, the, the the guy with the real marketing brains, he's the one who who everybody remembers. Um, ditto with Walt Disney and Abu Rex, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's 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 a it's a it's a very common story, and I think it has as much to do with sort of how we. In, relate to each other as people, both within business and sort of outside as the public, as to anything else. Not to let Stan off the hook. I well, mean, he, and I, he was a big something <laughs> I love that was that was always in the play that we just kept strengthening as we worked together. And I think it's very powerful, especially now, Heidi, with everything we're going through right now. Everyone, this is the time where I always want people to pursue their dreams, right? Mm, yeah. This is the time where you know I used to have a conversation, you know, at a bar. Remember, we used to go to those. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you would, someone would say like, I don't know if I, I want to make this decision. And I would ask, well, what do you want? And they say, well, yeah, but I still don't understand people didn't want to talk about following their dreams or, you know, going, pursuing what they loved or, you know, it seemed complicated for them to think big picture. Talk about thinking big picture very quickly. I don't want to do this job. I don't get paid enough. This sucks. Like I want a different life. I want to go after my dreams. Right. I think this whole thing has focused everybody in a different way of looking at these things. And I think that um, the, what the play really highlights really well is Jack always did that. Jack always went after what he wanted to create. 
and um, show to us. At the same time, there are the characters of the suits. One is all played by the, the different bosses in Kirby's life. Uh, played Timothy by Tim Reynolds. Yeah. Reynolds yeah. did a great job, but also Stan ends up becoming one of those people. And I think that it, there's a clear message in the play that um, the suits are there to profit off you, you know, to be mm-hmm. the ambassadors of capitalism. And they are going to take the art that you created and, you know, um, and put their face on it. And uh, that's very clear in the play. And I think it speaks a lot to artists today trying to um, maintain rights and all sorts of things. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it, there's, it's indisputable that, that Jack Kirby was just, you know, uh, the, one of the greatest creators of characters in the history of comics. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, and you know, his art is so incredible and he, he just never stopped. He never, never, never stopped. Um, you know, I will say for the marketers, for the Steve Jobs and the Walt Disney and the Stanley, a lot of times you do need, like you say, Fred, you need to have the front man, the hype man, you know? Yeah. And I mean, they definitely, I, I do not discount the genius of great marketing and, you know, Stan was a genius. He was sure. absolutely a genius at, at promoting you know, himself, but also, you know, this world around him. And, and, um, and Abraham makes a great point in his book. Um, and I think he's quoting somebody else. And this is a really good way of putting it is that particularly in that, you know, a lot of this was just luck, right? Mm. So much of life is luck and, or good and bad, frequently bad <laughs> that we don't like to really acknowledge, but like sort of the key to Stan's whole style was that was was he was simultaneously bombastic but also extremely self-deprecating and that really captured a voice that was just kind of coming um into its own in the early 60s mm-hmm. and so he really just kind of hit his whole shtick was at the was very much at the right place at the right time absolutely um and you, but you know anytime anyone has a has an uh, uh a argument with me about, you know, Stan or Jack. I'm just like, well, look at what Jack did without Stan. You know, he created yeah. romance comics. He created Captain America, co-created, co-created with his other partner, Joe Simon. Uh, you know, the Newsboy Legion, uh, Captain America. Uh, and then he did the New Gods and then he sure. did Destroyer Duck. And it's like, and Stan did Stripperella. So you tell me. <laughs> Steve Ditko did the question, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Every. Yeah. Wally yeah. Wood quit Daredevil when he didn't <laughs> get paid for writing and then went on and did the Thunder Agents. Now, the Thunder Agents is not in anybody's top ten list of superheroes, but Marvel could have had them and Orion and Darkseid and The Question and Captain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they yeah. figured out how to share credit, you know, which, which, which to stand in Stan's defense was not a, a problem solely with him. Like that yeah. was the American comic industry in general, but yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, what are, what are some of Kirby's creations that speak the most to both of you personally? That's a great question. I love, um, gosh, it's so many, I mean, you know, all of the anger based characters, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like the Hulk and the demon and Orion to a certain degree are all kind of struggling with rage, which I feel like is something I do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I love Big Barda for some reason. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like she's like a, she's this sort of Zoftig to, to use a, a, a very popular Yiddish phrase, uh, word. Uh, but she's like this weirdly like giant, like, feminist kind of warrior, but at the same time is weirdly nurturing, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yes. Female characters are absolutely terrific and it's, it's really cool. I'm so glad that, that WandaVision is playing with inventive things because the Scarlet, um, which she's just so, you know, 
it's exciting. Um, like I just read this random issue of like Fantastic Four. I cannot remember why I was re- re- rereading. I have these giant, the giant Stan and Jack Fantastic Four on the buy. And there's this one story that this does not get like enough credit. I think like Annihilus or Android or somebody, I forget which villain it is, has taken out everybody in the basketball league except a, a pregnant Sue Storm. <laughs> the entire issue is a pregnant Sue Storm. She's in like this like 60s like green dress. I don't think she's <laughs> a chance to change into her superhero outfit. I think because of unstable molecules, she could even wear it while pregnant. But anyway, uh, she has to fight this villain Brandon for 20 pages. It's just kind of amazing. I'm like, why? Wow, that is amazing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's like in like mid-70s, I want to say, in the numbering of Fantastic Four, that is. Well, at the last um, New York Comic Con that there was, and hopefully not the last ever, uh, we did a, a panel. I was so honored to be on this panel called, uh, you know, Women on Jack Kirby, because so many times it's just a guy thing. Sure. And, and they talked about the Tumblr that's, you know, Kirby without words that showed pretty, dis- pretty clearly that Stan went in and wrote, you know, Sue thought bubbles like, Oh, Reed's telling me what to do. Oh, thanks, <laughs> right. Reed. I don't, I'm not sure. You know, whereas Jack. I'd rather be shopping than fighting. Yeah, but, but Jack was drawing these kick-ass women, like just, you know, busting chops and, um, you know, he, he was not, he at, at the panel really, uh, conclusion was Jack was not afraid of strong women, and that's yeah. true. And, well, and I think that's yeah. in the play a bit with uh, the, he's he, we really hit home the um the power coupledom of Roz and Jack, and mm-hmm. you know it was really through my I wasn't looking um to 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 research Stan Lee's uh, wife, but in the coupledom there were there were a lot of in the research they really did compare the two couples a lot, and they couldn't be more night and day. Roz. <laughs> I never thought of that. Right? Ross is incredibly involved with Jack's work and uh, even inked uh, some mm-hmm. of the uh, comics, which is in the play, but um, at the podcast. Um, but yeah, there is not that kind of um, uh, get your hands dirty kind of feeling from, from the other um, couple. But uh, yeah, and I think Ross said something about not having dinner with them or something, something, <laughs> something interesting, but it must, might have been my housewife's brain going there, like imagining what that would be like if they all had a <laughs> Wow. I, I imagine you know uh, Rob Sopwitz from Forbes. Uh, yes, yes, of course. Yeah, he, he was kind enough to come and uh, moderate the last episode of the podcast for now uh, is uh, is a round table of me and Crystal and Bobby and the whole cast. And, but he told this great story of being at San Diego Comic-Con as a young man. I don't think he was a kid. I think he was like a young, like early twenties guy. And he bought what he thought was a Kirby original uh. and he took it over to the Jack Kirby collector table. And they were like, I don't know about this. Roz, what do you think? <laughs> and Roz said, he was there. I was like, no way. Tell me who brought you this. And she was in a wheelchair and wheeled over there with him and just, Oh man. Just personally went and tore the dealers a new yeah. asshole and, then, and got Rob's yeah. money back and got the money back and said, you, you cheated this young man. This is not my husband's work. Wow. How dare you? Like really amazing. So, so talk about <laughs> strong female protagonists. Yeah. And unfortunately, I don't think Roz lasted much longer after that incident, but, but, uh, Rob, because Rob had said he had never met Jack, but he had met, obviously, this one incident, Roz. Yeah, yeah. I, I was lucky enough to meet Jack, you know, a few times, and, um, one time he bought me a sandwich. It's really the highlight, the highlight of my career, I think. Do you remember what kind of sandwich? Uh, probably a turkey sandwich. That's probably, but I don't know. That I don't remember. No photos exist of this moment, sadly. Um, didn't crackle. Yeah. You know, Crystal, your work deals a lot with fandom. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. You, what, what, what fascinates you about, about that topic? I think partly it's that I, and I, in Mary and Max, it comes up too. And no, no one's seen the film of uh, the musicals based on Adam Elliott's beautiful black and white claymated film. Um, you know, I'm really obsessed with outsiders and weirdos. And I, I think that I felt that way. You know, I, I was an outsider coming into theater. I started in the visual arts. Um, I certainly, you know, was bullied and stuff growing up. And so there was, I think, fandom, you know, and the love of something and the passion of something is where I first became parts of circles of, of people I related to. So whether it be theater, photography, um, you know, comic books, uh, you know, uh, cosplay, you know, I just, I felt such love with and passion within those groups that could unite such different people from different places. And, um, the power of that and the power of a collective trying to accomplish something, whether it show the love of a creator or make a film together. Um, I think those things are so gorgeous because they show, you know, how art is creation that can save lives, can change people's minds, can communicate. And through the act of, of that participation changes the person themselves. It's different. I, I think I'm also really involved with coming of age stories as well. And mm-hmm. so I, so fandom has a big deal to do with that, I think as well. Um, and in the Kirby play, I've always been really passionate that, you know, we start with Jack, uh, we meet him actually in a very interesting way, uh, talking about his life, um, at his drawing table. However, um, he starts very young and, we see really the, the the breadth of his life. And I think getting all these different moments, it, it, it is kind of a coming of age story in a lot of ways because we actually, we actually do process um, almost every year of his life. Yeah. That's, that's very cool. What do you think? Like, like it seems like fandom was an outsider thing before, but now as we were kind of alluding to earlier, now it's like, if you, it's like feudal, you know, it's yeah. like if you do not wear the colors of your liege fandom, right. you might be murdered on the road. I mean, you know, how has it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you, what do you think of that evolution? Oh, it's so interesting. I remember, I remember being like, whoa, this is my 90s brain thinking, because I think someone 10 years younger than me was in a, next to me on a panel. And I think the question was like, who, what do you want to be labeled as? And, you know, growing up, being labeled wasn't a, a happy thing, you know? Mm-hmm. That was like, oh, I'm being labeled and I'm going to get beaten up, you know? <laughs> so, um, and also not my label, right? Like, I don't, I don't take kindly to, like, I feel like one should be able to express themselves and that's... Um, that you're in the world and we accept, accept that. And that's, that's the excitement. Um, so I realized when I think the cosplaying is a lot about this too, and the characters you align with and the groups you're part of was, was, was saying, this is who I am. This is the, the niche for me. This is, this is the world. Um, and it can change and shift, but I, I'm happy to label and say, that's who I am. Um, and I think it goes a little bit with maybe the younger generations also growing up a lot with branding. And so mm-hmm. because of that, they're, um, they're excited by that. What I try to do when I teach is just make sure that everyone understands that you, you change like a coming of age story you, in, in different ways. And that's exciting too. And to be open to that. Um, and, uh, and just your communication with yourself of who you are, because that's really what we're here to support. Um, so I hope, you know, I hope, but you know, like in terms of the, in terms of the, the, the fights of, you know, I'm right, you're wrong. Like there's no way to win because, you know, it's, it's, it, it really needs to be a way that we can listen to each other, even as fans. Although I, I, I think that once you, you know, I've seen a lot of cosplay mm-hmm. <laughs> battles on the, 
on the uh, Comic Con floor. And I think, you know, you know, even the different ashes that don't get along at some point find some kind of common ground. I mean, I think that there is this love of something that is greater than the self. And I think that does bring fans together in some interesting way. And, and I think that, I mean, I, I have a more pessimistic outlook and I, and I, I hope I'm wrong, but I feel like a lot of this is sort of an inevitable result of the collapse of essentially white Christian patriarchy in the sense that, <laughs> in the sense that like if society isn't sort of forcing these guidelines on people and I think losing those guidelines is a very good thing. Unfortunately, you get the side effect is that you have a lot of people who are not really self starters and they sort of need a narrative to their lives. And on the one hand, you have the breakdown of traditional origin. I mean, unfortunately you also have economic breakdown and, and, um, income inequality and there's no unions, you know, people, people's Uh pensions are constantly under the threat of being taken away. And even if you don't necessarily believe there's going to be an afterlife, you need to have some sort of narrative structure to your own life. And people are just kind of floundering and grabbing onto these things and obsessing over them, whether it's, you know, Donald (laughs) Trump or Zack Snyder's Justice League cut or, or or Raylo. Or Raylo or, or whatever, you know, and, and it's, it just, it just, it just becomes this sort of obsession with sort of great men. I saw somebody complaining like, you know, it's just funny going back to our Stanley Jack Kirby conversation. I saw someone complaining online about how Kevin Feige is getting all this credit about WandaVision. It's like, well, the same person wrote every episode, same person directed every episode. Why aren't those two people getting the credit and not, you know, it's, it's, it's this obsession with the boss, right? right it's right. got to be this great leader astride the land, you know, uh, yeah. it, it certainly makes sense why we had feudalism. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you know I mean? like, yeah. to a certain extent to an American, you're like, why did, why were there Kings and Queens for thousands of years? That seems fucking stupid. And then you sort of look around and see what's going around now. And you're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think we like to hang our hat or, you know, put our crown. I think we like to crown some kind of a King, whether it's, you know, it's Feige or Lee or the real King, Jack King Kirby. That's right. um, uh, what do you guys, what do you guys think of WandaVision? Now, actually, so this is funny. There was, I, I assume you're watching it. We yes, are. We are. Okay. Then, and like, you know, there was a super bad take on Twitter. Uh, as we're recording this listeners, uh, we are six episodes in. So we've seen right. for act one, act two, uh, and we're Darcy has just been absorbed by the hex. Yes. So we're we about to kind of, I think we're about to kind of start, um, you know, solving the mysteries. Uh, but the, you know, the super bad take was like, Oh, why is this a TV show? It's just a bloated movie. And, and everybody jumped in on the comments, of course, because uh like the radio serials and you know like movie serials it's like people do not always want to binge something right sometimes it's fun to get a little half hour and you think about it for a week and then you learn more about it I, well I, I i will respectfully push back on that because i actually didn't think that guy's take on screen rant was all that bad I People really went a little overboard on him. It was not terribly important, but it, but it. Yes, it was the internet. People went overboard. I share a lot of his problems. Like, I mean, I am enjoying Wandavision, but I find it to be super padded. And let me just point this out. You know, we don't know what the solution to Wandavision is. I have a couple strong opinions, suspicions about it. Uh, that I'll be happy to share. <laughs> uh, 
if you want me to, but I don't care. You know, if you don't care, I, that's fine too. But, uh, uh, I'm not sure if I care, but, uh, uh, but you know, don't forget, we don't know what the ending is yet. And if the ending sucks, which it might. Oh yeah. About half the people who were yelling at the people for complaining that it was too slow are going to go ballistic that they, that they weren't satisfied. You know what I mean? I mean, in a lot of ways, it's like these shows, it's a throwback to shows like Lost that kind of strung people uh-huh. around forever. Yes. Yes. And people went nuts when it turned out, you know, spoiler alert, they were all in heaven. I can't remember. What the Purgatory. Well, I have, I have a bit of a different take, which is. But I, I am enjoying it. But, but I just, just, just. Yeah, just, Fred, I'm not a hater. I see him enjoy it. I'm not a hater. I haven't enjoyed every episode, but I am overall yes. enjoying the show. There's one episode that we, we really were like, ooh, it was like the third one or so. And I should also say I'm a Vision of the Strong Witch super fan. Oh, okay. I am. The, I, I love those miniseries in the 80s that Richard Howe. And Steve Englehart and Bill Mantlo and Rick Leonardi did. So I am the target audience for this mm-hmm. show. Yes. yes. All well, right. To go off the lost thing, what, what I think is more sophisticated here, which is really cool, is that, um, we're dealing with a woman's grief and we're dealing with major, major, um, psychological trauma and issues that I think a lot of us are questioning or feeling in the pandemic, or we've known someone who've experienced or we feel, you know, we're all connected to it somehow. So the fact that a woman's grief can, can, uh, she can use her powers to try and make things normal again. And then we see these schismed views of Americana, in mm. different, you know, is, is really powerful. So unlike Lost, which I would say isn't exploring a larger, bigger issue, um, I, I, I think that's just really powerful. And I think that in a, in a genre that is typically about, you know, I'm Captain America with hard, you know, I couldn't be with my lady, you know, like that's, <laughs> yeah, that's hard, but like, this is really hard. Like this is a woman's but, grief. That's kind of big. But I get yeah. where people are frustrated with the show because you describe a Wanda's grief, but you're sort of projecting that. And, and I get that, 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 that makes total we sense to do that. We, that you're inferring that, but the show has actually not made that case yet. You know what I mean? It, it, it sort of is assuming we we've all memorized. We're all PhDs in, in MCU. Archive, well, which is, <laughs> I, I don't really care. That's fine. With me. Well, the theater people are writing on Facebook that they get. It's all about grief, Fred. So, yeah. so I could see there are some very lively conversations in this household. There are. Yeah. Not, it's not a hive mind here, Heidi. We're just <laughs> individuals. <laughs> our, <laughs> our feeds are totally different. Talk about peanut and, and chocolate. Uh, you know, so I have some comic book friends and Fred. So we, we, we both are in both worlds, but Fred sees mostly comics. I see mostly theater. And yeah. we have very different opinions about almost everything. <laughs> the only thing that they agreed on was the Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how was it, yeah. how was it, you know, um, collaborating on this? Oh, it was, it was just awesome. Cause any argument we had, we, 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 we were like, we realized that Roz and Jack were experiencing the same thing. We just put it in the play. <laughs> <laughs> That's the good thing, Heidi, about writing about creators is that you know what it's like. Um, but, um, you know, also it's the- funny. Yeah. Oh. Listeners, it's funny. I could see Fred and Crystal. Crystal's smiling and Fred isn't. Interesting. Oh, he's smiling on the inside. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I, I, so, but well, that would indicate to me that maybe more, uh, Van Lente Skelman productions are not, uh, a coming or are they? Oh, they are. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's already been one. We did a web comic for a web. Oh, yes. Fighter. Yes. That's very, right. Very exciting and very fun. Uh, and hopefully more stuff 
we're in talks with Webtoon about doing more some more stuff with that, uh, which is groovy, and we're working on a new play. Oh, what is the topic? Uh, it's called Tragedy of Comedy. Oh, I love uh, the title already. Sold, sold. And, and it's, it's it's a hilarious fault uh, farce set during uh, classical Greek times in the uh, when the tragedian Sophocles, Euripides, and a mysterious contender were all competing to win best best drama. And it's backstage, basically. And it's yeah. backstage at the at the. I'm um, uh, um, sold. Sold. Yeah, it's Fair. really fun, and yeah. it's really, um, there's a great uh, 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 female character that we realize is more than she appears to be in the piece. Um, and yes, maybe even penned one of the plays. No, oh, yes, That's as right. women. Have. All I can say is that hilarity ensues. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, it's it's funny actually thinking about WandaVision, and I mean, I'm certainly look. I I am absolutely enjoying it. I enjoy the tension of not knowing what's going to happen and get it. I enjoy suspense because I'm sitting in my house all the time, and anything that brings suspense or novelty to my home is welcome. <laughs> uh, and and the. The, it's funny though, because the sitcom takeoffs are pretty fun. You know, if you're a, a student of history sure. of sitcoms, obviously there's, you know, and I, I think the, they crush them. You grew up in the seventies when yeah. half the shit you watch was all from the fifties and sixties. Yeah, right. Like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, really? you know, and I mean, I love that they crushed the milk in the middle. I, but I will say it pales in comparison to. office next. Uh, yeah. Oh man. Uh, but I, it, it pales in comparison to something like Garth Marenghi, which is like, just, I haven't seen that, but I really want to. Oh my god! All right, Fred, we'll, we'll have to cut this part out of the podcast. Uh, when we're off, I'll just I'll speak on that. Wow. But uh, trust me. No, I, I, I yeah. I, but I, I'm, I'm just saying, if you watch that, it's the perfect perfect parody of every aspect. And you know, there's just some things about Wandavision. It's like they didn't really go all the way. Like uh, you know, they, they they had a lot. There's a lot going. I, I disagree. I think there's a lot going on in each episode. There's a lot of multi layers to it. Well, and- but they 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 have. But the the problem is for me is that is that a they're filtering a lot of the same. They're giving us the same emotional beats, which is that something's wrong and Wanda is sad yes. and Vision is confused and it's it just keeps happening over <laughs> yes. and over and over again. All right. And I, I know I'm in the minority, but I find the, 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 the real world stuff as much as I love Randall Park and all those guys, I, I find that to be a little, a little much. Yeah. But anyway. But yes. that's, I find a lot of streaming shows. I have yet to, this will if assuming I don't know why I wouldn't, I'd make it all the way through this, making it through WandaVision is the first will make it the first modern superhero show I've actually watched every episode of. Okay. But usually I give up either because I, um, just lighting is bad. Lighting is not good mm. in the shows. Heidi. That's true. That is, you know what? Wandavision technically is, is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But, but a lot of the other shows, yeah, that's true. But, or like Jessica Jones, for example, a show everybody loved, I got bored. I thought it was just too much padding and I got bored half the oh, time. I realized I'm, I was going to watch. Christopher right. to try and kill David Tennant for. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Those were, but you know, that was so early on in the t- superhero TV show. So they thought you needed 13 episodes, you know, since they've learned, nope, eight and out, eight and out, you know. Yeah, or <laughs> so, six, the BBC. Yeah, market. six are out. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, shorter as the absence makes the heart grow fonder. Absolutely. Um, now how are you guys? I mean, Crystal, it's, you know, not to touch on a sore subject, but obviously as a 
playwright and a theater person, this is a tough time for people who, you know, work in live gatherings. I mean, what have you been doing for the last year? Like, it's been, uh, well, you know, I was a little lucky in that I had started to be transitioning to other mediums, uh, transition, not quite the right word, but expanding. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was starting that five years ago and then it really started ramping up the year before the pandemic. So, um, writing the comic book with Fred with Eat fighter, um, that started opening doors for, you know, possible talks like with animation and things like that. The audio drama talks I was having was with boom integrated. That's going to be the new series I mentioned is called magician's magician. Our talk started, um, about a year and a half ago. So all these things were straight. And I have, um, a TV show I'm working on called overnight success that I'm um, writing with Lauren elder. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, which we were really excited about. So I, I had been working on those materials. So once, once the pandemic went down, it really was hard. Um, but at the same time, I immediately said, okay, if there was ever a sign from the universe that you were meant to leap a little bit more into television, this is the time for audio drama. So, um, I kind of took that and ran with it and it's been pretty great in terms of theater. Interestingly enough, um, <laughs> Theater people are working harder than ever. It's going into development. So mm. um, the one thing that, you know, I'm not saying, hey, and I do have a Zoom reading coming up on March 3rd at the Playwright Center. It's a great play called Pulp Verte. I hope you come. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're all a little, busy, you know, fatigued and, mm-hmm. and busy doing all sorts of things and creating our own things. But the one thing that um, uh, this kind of development works quite well for is writing and mm-hmm. scripts. Um, and so, uh, scripts are being developed at such a rapid rate, including for theater and everyone's excited to, to kind of get out and be, and see what that is. I would say that, however, you know, where the heart beats fast, kind of highly like we're saying, um, is number one for my actor friends. That's the hardest. Mm, yeah. uh, and ho- a lot of them do write. So, so that's good, but it's, that's very difficult. And then the other thing would be, um, what is it going to be, you know, because the, in terms of reharnessing the true live, experience, you know, we probably are going to be masked for a while and we're probably going to be, it's going to be a whole new world. And so, um, we'll just have to take that day by day and moment by moment, but it will, it's going to take a long time before it goes back the way, way. It yeah. Well, it's never, it's not, I keep saying it's never going to go back to the way it was. It's just going to be a new thing. And, you know, yeah. like I do feel, you know, Fred, uh, you know, you work primarily in comics and, you know, comics turned out okay. I mean, we're all like, Oh, this is going to kill comics. No, yeah. they're fine. Yeah. <laughs> They're fine. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, it turns out when, you know, you just need to show up at your store every Wednesday and pick up your giant stack. Yeah, it. well, the, yeah, we learn, but you know, that, 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 we talk about this on the podcast with Calvin and Kate all the time. It's that, um, you know, and, and just what Crystal was saying, really, we all learn new skill sets. You know, I learned right. how to Zoom. I learned how to do right. yeah. horrible video editing. I bought a mic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Fred has a beautiful mic. Um, that is, yeah, we, we all kind of have learned new skills. And, you know, I think hopefully if we look back on this and be like, oh yeah, there was that time that, uh, you know, nature said, take two years to learn new skills. Here's yeah, a break. Yeah. Honestly, the, the, the people I worry about the most are the college kids, just because I feel like it's such a turbulent time in normal times. This has just got to be brutal. And for the high school, like, like in that like late, teens early 20s yeah. age this has got to be the worst because the little kids probably don't you know whatever you know they're they're not thrilled about it but they're they'll forget about it but and for us us oldsters yeah you know, we're just like yeah be, we'll all be hanging out in the nursing home saying remember 2020 yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> Trump was president for some reason <laughs> during the pandemic 
I remember it snowed in Texas. That's right. It snowed in Texas. There are a lot of people grateful for what the pandemic has allowed us to see that's wrong and not working. And in my industry, there was a lot not working. Um, so we're excited, like you said, how you not quite to go back to the way it was, but also keep keep solving some of those problems and issues that I feel affected like some people, people freaked out at the beginning and I'm kind of freaking out now for some reason. I oh. I made it a year and now I'm like enough. It's I think it's healthy. I kept looking at Fred being like, Do you do you know there's a pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> well my day to day life did not really change all that much except for no travel and no sport no no live sports. Yeah. I think for the first time in a long time, Heidi and I did not go to the... Yeah, we didn't go to see the Mets. Mets. But, you know, maybe that was all just as well, so... Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Next year, we'll hopefully bring back Yes, that. yes. Um, well, well Fred, Fred, we made it to spring training. I mean, the Mets that's actually right. report tomorrow as we record this. That so, uh, and to me, you know, <laughs> I've always had SAD, seasonal affective disorder, and, uh, uh, you know, whenever I made it to February and, and you know, baseball cards are out and spring training yeah. started, I was like, I made it. I made it another year. I know, right? And uh, it's also weirdly a bummer for me because my birthday is on Valentine's Day. So oh. like, like it's always in the middle of, not because it's Valentine's Day, because it's in the middle of February, which in New York City is, is always the worst. Yeah. Winter. They yeah. The worst to last. So that's always kind of a, yeah. a melancholy as well. Well, uh, looks, it looks like our time is, uh, wrapping up here. Um, uh, what's, what is, what is the, you know, besides King Kirby, what is the next thing that we could look for, that, you know, from both of you? Fred, you're so busy. What do you have coming out? Uh, well, right now on the stands and doing very, very well, comic I am weirdly proud of is I'm doing the dynamite, uh, zombie crossover. Oh! Die exclamation point namite. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Vampirella, Red Sonia, all your favorites and zombies and some of them are zombies. Uh, and the last issue of the first season drops, uh, tomorrow, uh, the 17th after we, uh, the day after we're recording this, and also from IDW coming out right now is one of my periodic nonfiction comics do with my pal Ryan Dunlavey, The Comic Book History of Animation. Oh, well, uh, listeners, we have mentioned Fred's comic book histories before on here. He's done comic books, uh, he did action philosophers. Uh, I think you, did you do sports too, right? You did, uh. I did. I, we came up with the comic book history of, of basketball last year. That's, that's right. That's right. Uh, well, anyway, highest recommendation. Highest yeah. recommendation. So. Uh, Crystal, anything else from you? Yes, um, I mentioned a little bit uh, The Magician's Magician. Right. Um, the new audio series from Boom Integrated. Um, we're scripting now. We'll be recording the spring. So it looks like late spring, summer, um, that'll be released. And really excited to have another serialized story out there. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, uh, oh, and I have my reading at March 3rd. It's called Pulp Verte, um, directed by Kareem Fame. Um, and that's at Playwright Center. I'm really excited about that play and um, some terrific theaters are, are excited too. So we'll see where that goes. And then Rain and Zoe at some point, we will have dates for you about mm-hmm. 2022. So stay tuned. Well, yeah, check That's out. That's live. That's live. So. Yeah. What is, uh, you, what is your uh, social media where we could follow all this activity? Yes. I'm Crystal Skillman everywhere. I'm, there's not any, uh, I don't know. I think there's maybe one, but um, mm. the other person. Um, yep. So um, no, I'm Fred Bellantier everywhere. And everywhere, if you yeah. are interested primarily in, 
all the King Kirby news. Follow at King Kirby Play on Twitter and on Instagram. Yep. We are nope, it's the same now. Oh, very we nice. Made it our same. <laughs> so yeah, we have an Instagram and a Twitter account where we post stuff about the show and behind the scenes stuff and all. It's that. very cool, actually. I love your Instagram, uh, which is where yeah. I first heard about this. It really, you guys it's nailed it. Is yeah, the Instagram manager of King Kirby, you've made her Ooh, day. Thank you. Guys. Yeah, it's no, <laughs> you know it isn't, but you did definitely did uh, a really great job on that so yeah. we well, know you're fans Heidi so I kept thinking is what would the fans want well that's it you gotta think of the fans always always for the fans um you guys this is delightful it's wonderful to talk to you I'm um, glad to hear you're, you're you're surviving and putting out really cool stuff and uh check out uh King Kirby the podcast uh the serialized podcast it's we're all fine podcasts are available so uh until next time there will be more to come <laughs>